the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your kindness to us, your grace to us, your love for us. We ask that you would pour out your spirit now. Teach us, Lord. For those who come to hear about the sabbatical, I pray God, just be interested or entertained, but, but blessed and filled up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, today we're gonna, I'm going to talk a little bit about sort of the next part of the sabbatical. We kind of went into what sabbatical was and began to talk about uh, our time. Remember, we had two weeks with our family. I'll kind of wrap that up sort of on the quick, um, the family time, and then really talk, I want to talk about the pilgrimage time, which is the time that I had by myself in England, about 12 days, and I went to Oxford and Cambridge and Canterbury and London. This is, uh, the picture here is, is St. Paul's Cathedral uh, in, in London. Uh, beautiful, I mean, one of the most majestic churches I've ever been in, Christopher Wren design, uh, famous architect. So, um, so we went, we spent, I said, the first week in London, we took some day trips, we went to uh, Windsor Castle, we had about, uh, we had to go several places that day, so we had about, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour uh, in Windsor Castle, which is really not enough, but it was enough to see that it's, a, it's beautiful. Uh, Windsor Castle is, is basically the weekend home of the royal family. Um, Queen Elizabeth strongly preferred Windsor to Buckingham, and I think that uh, I'm told Charles does as well. He didn't tell me himself, but, um, but that's uh, what I heard from our mutual friend. Um, so Windsor Castle was great. We got to see, that, got, got to see the changing of the guard uh, there. That was pretty neat. Uh, and they played, um, the, they have a band that, that marches, the, the incoming guard comes in with, to a, a full like marching band, and they played... Uh, at the end. They play, at the end. They, oh, we don't talk about Bruno from... Um, <laughs> From the, one of the later latest Disney movies, it was pretty funny. Actually, it was this sort of very staid, rigid, you know, traditional changing of the guard, and they play "We Don't Talk About Bruno," and that was. If you don't know that song, it's probably to your benefit. It's probably to your benefit. But ask your ask your kids or grandkids. So, we went to Stonehenge. Uh, we and then we went did a lot of other things, but um, we finished up. Uh, that's the uh, where Amy and I are in front of the Lion King, and we saw uh, the production. The what's it called? The East East End, West End, West End, West End production. Like Broadway, West End is their Broadway. West End production of the Lion King, and we'd never seen it before, or I'd never seen it before. It was spectacular. The play is good. I mean, it's basically like the movie, but the aesthetic of the costumes is just—it's unbelievable. And then we went from there to um, to Scotland. Um, so this is uh, St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh, which is strange because it's Presbyterian. And pre you don't think of Presbyterians having a cathedral. Um, in fact, I can't imagine uh, that Presbyterians think of themselves as having a cathedral. It was just, the whole thing was kind of, it was originally a Catholic cathedral, and then of course the Reformation happened, and they kicked the Catholics out. And uh, they were, it, it was a very um, uh, stridently, Reformed, uh, even Puritan uh, place for a long time. It's it's much broader uh, now, obviously. 
This is, of course, in Scotland, they have uh, scotch, or they did what they call just whiskey. Uh, you order a scotch, I don't know, I don't know who, you, who you would get. But um, the, um, and the reason I put this up here, uh, McAllen, some of you may know, if, if you know, or if you drink scotch, McAllen's a, a really nice, and McAllen 12 is a great uh, single malt. Um, very nice. But this is a 18, 25, and 30-year uh, single malt McAllen uh, in a sherry cask, I think. Yeah, sherry oak cask. And uh, it's selling, this 30-year-old, I just put it up there because you can see it's selling for 5,795 pounds, which is about $7,000. How many bottles did you bring back? No more than two. They wouldn't let me. That was my whole sabbatical fund right there. We just came back and sat on the couch after that. Because that's all we could do. Anyway, um, and then, uh, and then Thomas had his 16th birthday. That was really, that was really fun. That is at the Duck and Waffle, uh, which was one of the best meals we had in all of England. It was amazing uh, for a sort of brunch birthday. It, 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 ask Thomas, and he will not be able to say many words, but there will be some drool involved. I think. So. It's like chicken and waffles. So I, I wanted to show you this because I just I thought this was really uh, interesting. I, there's one day while we were in Scotland, and I had to. Um, I had to, got to, my family afforded me the opportunity, they went to go see something else, and I went off by myself, and they had this like, long stretch from Edinburgh Castle all the way down, it's called the Miracle Mile, is that? Royal Mile, Royal Mile. and um, and there's this, there's several churches along the way, air church buildings, and, um, and one of them was called Old St. Paul's Episcopal Church, and this is their sign. And I went in, this is not the church building. This is a different church building. But I went in Old St. Paul's Church, and they, it was a lovely, very, I would say Anglo-Catholic, um, high mass kind of place. It was a really wonderful prayer that was printed. I've never seen this, and I just want to read it. It says, O dearest Lord, thy sacred head with thorns was crowned for me. O pour thy blessing on my head that I may think for thee. O dearest Lord, thy sacred hand with nails were pierced for me. O pour thy blessing on my hands that I may work for thee. O dearest Lord, thy sacred feet with nails were pierced for me. O pour thy blessing on my feet that I may walk with thee. O dearest Lord, thy sacred side with sword was pierced for me. O pour thy blessing on my heart that I may live with thee. I just, I really liked that. It was this, uh, just kind of open for prayer right on the Royal Mile. And yet, this was their sign. And I was, I was just struck. The only thing is, it was, it was beat up. It said, join us for our Linton journey. I was there in uh, late June. I mean, this is, this is a place that has, I mean, it, is, it has the whole world walking by it. What an opportunity. And they just, and I don't, I, didn't, I don't mean to stand in judgment, but I just, it, to me it was, like, we can't let that happen. We can't miss the opportunities that come our way. They had opportunities all the time to be welcoming, to be open, to be up to date anyway. And it was just kind of beat up and sad, and, and I just thought, and this was another church building across the street. And it's, as you can tell, it's a market. It's not a church. It's just people go in there, and they sell, and it's kind of... Cute and, and and neat because it's you know got the old stone and the stained glass and you can buy these 
cool little cards and, and trinkety kind of things for too much money on, on the Royal Mile. And I thought, this is the future. If we don't stick to the gospel, if we miss the opportunities of what we have to proclaim the gospel and give people what they need more than anything else, then this is the future of the church. And it was just alarming to me. Not to pity them, but to just remember for myself that it was um, that, that we, we, we can't miss our opportunities. We've got something really, really important uh, to share. Um, as I say that, if I can just pause, put a pin right there, and I meant to say, uh, I meant to thank uh, John Elisano and Elaine for our uh, continental breakfast today. It was uh, delicious. And the reason why my executive assistant is uh, doing the um, is doing the breakfast is because there's not right now a fourth Sunday team, and. Frankly, she does so many other things uh, in the church. It would be really better if there were some folks who could uh, assign themselves to the fourth Sunday team uh, rather than having Elaine make, uh, bring donuts. That would be uh, much better for the, for the life of the church, I think. Okay. Well, they were, well they're actually more like bagels, uh, I guess, with locks. And I think that has to do with uh, John Alessandro, who's just uh, fantastic. Thank you so much, sir. She did sell me a bridge this morning. She sold you a bridge. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. Now, I wish, I can't, I can't get the uh, video to work. This is actually a video. When we, we left Scotland, we went to Wales, and we went to this, we went to this place in Wales because it's like this adventure park. I can show you some other time, like the sheep and the rolling hills. And Wales, if you ever, it's, we're in the north part in the Snowdonia National Park, and it's really beautiful, but this is us um, on this swing, and I, I, I just can't get it to work, but I don't, I don't know what, let me, let me see if I can, if you get queasy, like motion sick, watching stuff, don't watch this, yeah, so it's good, but yeah, okay, all right, so that's, it didn't work, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know why it wouldn't work, but it was, it was super fun, and, and it, um, I'll just tell you what, Where's your son? Where's my son? Yeah, Brian, he can probably get work. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, he's across the street. Um, let's see. I'm just going to play it. I'm just going to play the audio because it's so fun. We're going up. We're going up. You have to let yourself down. Luke couldn't quite get the, uh, he couldn't quite release it. <laughs> Alright. Uh, anyway. Did you con your wife into doing that? Did I con her into, no, she's the adventurous one. Uh, she's the adventurous one in our family. I was the one, I was, I got so motion sick that I got, I was like sweating and I couldn't, I couldn't, I like looked down. And you get to look out, so that's great. But if, when I looked down, everything moved through my, um, you know, reader glasses, and I just like almost barfed on the Welsh countryside. <laughs> All right. So then we went down to the Cotswolds, and there were a lot of flowers, and then they left. So um, it was it was a really at, the Cotswolds were be- beautiful, 
But I, if I showed you all that, I, could, I would not get to the pilgrimage part. So they left. The Cotswolds are near Oxford, and we went to Oxford. And I think that, um, I think, Noni, you stayed, is this the hotel you stayed in right here? Okay, right behind. This is called the Martyr's Memorial. And I, I got off the train, I walked to my uh, Airbnb, and then I left my stuff, and I walked right here. And um, this is kind of one of the things that I wanted to see more than anything else in England. Because in um, 1556, 1555 and 1556, um, three men particularly but not exclusively, not only, were martyred, burned at the stake. You behead criminals, but you burn heretics. They were Protestant reformers. They had listened to and bought into the Lutheran teaching, teachings that were happening on the continent. They remember this is England, so the European continent, in Germany particularly. And, um, and they fell in love with the Bible. They wanted the... Um, the Bible to be given in the language of the people so they can understand it. They wanted the mass to be spoken in the language of the people. And, um, and so in order to do that, they saw their opportunity when Henry wanted to break with the Pope so that he could um, divorce Catherine of Aragon and, uh, and produce a male heir. So the reason that Henry, you'll hear, you probably heard in, in school that Henry wanted to divorce his wife and so he left the, the church, and it's kind of very reductionistic. Uh, not particularly defensible, still, but, but, a, but a reductionistic view of it. He wanted a male heir. He, Catherine of Aragon had been his older, his dead older brother's wife. And when he died, and there was no heir, he became the king, and their father, who I'm not really sure why he wasn't the king, but I don't understand. Anyway, arranged, it was, it was given that Catherine would become Henry's wife. When Catherine did not produce a male heir, Henry said, I am under God's judgment. I should not be married to her. And, um, and so I need to have this annulled in order to marry someone who will produce a male heir. Incidentally, he was already sleeping with that woman, um, uh, Anne Hathaway. But the, um, I think that's right. But the... Um, that didn't work out either. But uh, so that's uh, all other stories. But anyway, uh, Archbishop Cramer saw that he had the different, believed that he should not be married to. Um, well, he wasn't the Archbishop yet, but because he believed that he he should not have married Catherine and that he had the divine right of kings, um, Henry said, "Oh, you're going to be my Archbishop." And so um, Thomas Cramer became the Archbishop, and others lined up behind him: uh, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, particularly. They were bishops. And they, um, they began to reform the church and bring a, a, a biblical doctrine of justification, a biblical view of the Bible, uh, a uh, sense of uh, a relationship with God, a more monastic, um, serious devotional lifestyle for all of the people. When um, and, and they were really able to implement that after Henry died under King Edward VI, who was a young, uh, young man and, um, and died a young man. He was a sickly child, uh, but he was the king for a few years, and they, that's when the first Book of Common Prayer was implemented. Um, he died, and Catherine's daughter, Mary Tudor, came to the throne. 
and she was uh, very Catholic because of their Spanish background, and she was very angry because of the way her mother had been treated, and she was going to get rid of all of the heretics, the, the reforming heretics, and reunite the Church of England to the Church of Rome. And so she had uh, Latimer and Ridley burned at the stake, tried and burned at the stake, and Cranmer was tried, but he recanted. He said, I have been in error and with these reformations. And he apparently didn't believe that, but he was trying to save himself. They made him watch from the bell tower, watch Latimer and Ridley be burnt. And apparently one of them, like, it didn't, uh, the fire kind of died out, and it was just, it took a long, long time. It was awful. And he could see that, and um, this, incidentally, I believe it was Latimer that said to Ridley, my dear Ridley, be of good cheer, as they were being burned in the state, my dear Ridley, be of good cheer, for I uh, suspect that this day uh, we, our bodies will light a fire in England that will never be put out. Martyrdom, I, I was actually at a conference this week, we talked a lot about martyrdom, sort of unexpectedly, but the, one of the marks of mar martyrdom is joy. They go uh, believing that, uh, that the Lord is with them, and their, their reward in heaven is great, and they are uh, joyful in that. Um, Cranmer recanted and was afterwards taken to a great dinner and wined and dined. And just you can imagine the angst that he's feeling having caved. And then, um, but Mary wasn't done with him. She had him tried again and then had him tried again. And he had to sign all these papers and it was never enough. She was never convinced because of what he had done. She was going to have her way. And so finally, he, um, he was brought on trial at St. Mary's University Church in Oxford. I don't have a picture of the, um, I don't have a whole picture of the, of the whole church. I wasn't very good at taking pictures. Um, I was just kind of in awe. But this column right here still has, is still cut out because they cut it out so they could build a platform. He wasn't getting the pulpit, but they cut it out so they could build a platform. It was right we look closely, this is maybe hard to see from where we are. It's cut out. And right there is where the platform was that Cranmer stood on. And they had, of course, given him, he had turned in his speech ahead of time, so they, they'd approved it. And he began with the speech, and he said, he said you know, I, I, you're in my prayers, and you should be good Christians, and you should obey your queen. And then he said, and he went off script. He said, the hardest thing that I have done in my life is to, or the worst thing, the thing that's caused me the most distress in my life is that I have said things that I don't believe. And that is that I have recanted. And I withdraw my recantings. And this hand that signed those recantations will be the first that goes into the flames. And they ripped him down from the, uh, uh, from the platform and took him to the very spot where Latimer and Ridley had been uh, burned at the stake. This was March 21st, 1556. This spot 
which if I'd been thinking, I would have taken, shown you the wider spot because it's, uh, it's just a street. And they thankfully have preserved just that spot. It's a pedestrian street. People walk over this without even thinking about it. They don't have any idea what happened there. But this is, um, this is the spot. And you can see the pavement around it, but they've kept this cobblestone cross. This sign over here says, Archbishop Cranmer and Bishops Ridley and Latimer were twice tried for heresy in St. Mary's Church during Catholic Queen Mary's attempt to reverse the Reformation. Ridley and Latimer were burned at the stake in 1555. Cranmer then recanted. In 1556, he was again brought to St. Mary's. This pillar, this one up here, uh, has been cut away to allow the, the building of a low platform for which he was to make his uh, submission. At the last moment, he withdrew his recantation. He walked from the church to the fire with a firm step and a smiling countenance. Putting first into the flame, putting first into the flame the hand with which he had signed his recantation. So Cranmer uh, was, was martyred, burned at the stake uh, there. And so nearby was, is this memorial, and it has all three of them up there. And, and this says, uh, To the glory of God and in grateful commemoration of his servants, Thomas Cranmer, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, prelates of the church in England, who near this spot yielded their bodies to be burned, bearing witness to the sacred truths which they affirmed, and <laughs> I can't read. Um, against the errors of the, uh, they affirmed and heralded against the er errors of the Church of Rome, and rejoicing that to them it was given not only to believe in Christ but also to suffer for his sake. This monument was erected by public subscription in a year that is in uh, Roman numerals that I don't know. So, um, <laughs> rejoice, they went rejoicing, not only that they had been given to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. And then, ever since seminary, I have just marveled at the courage and the faith of these men. And I wanted to read to you Part of what I wrote as I sat there. The Martyr's Cross is just a few cobblestones cut out of the pavement. It's in the middle of a busy pedestrian street, Broad Street, with cute shops and Balliol College of Oxford all around. People walk right on top of it without noticing or having any idea what happened right where they're walking on March 21st, 1556. What happened? A man came to his senses and gave himself to his convictions. He did not fear the consequences and was soon burned at the stake. He had caved to save his life, done the thing that was safe, though perhaps buoyed by his belief in the monarch's divine position. What does such courage look like for me? Right now, I don't need to know. I am humbled to be sitting in this personally holy space, remembering that our faith was reformed by men willing to die for their faith. Remembering, in a sense, that we have a faith that is worth dying for, and that faith and truth, or perhaps faithfulness, is actually more important than life. 
than living. So it was just a profound moment for me. Um, I had gone, left the church, not because of so much the church, but just the other stuff going on, stressed and lacking some perspective, wanting to be uh, vindicated, wanted to be right, wanting to have my work shown for what it was, and remembering that our faith is worth dying for, not just our faith, but our God is worth dying for, and that suffering is a part of the Christian life, and and that I'm only here because there are heroes who had to pay a much dearer price. Uh, I think I told you that I read... Uh, a lot of the Psalms. Well, I read all of the Psalms. Um, and and as I sort of contemplated and got some perspective on my stress in my life, I, some of them really stuck out to me. Um, this is Psalm, parts of, excerpts of Psalm 27. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. The war breaks out against me. I will still be confident. I've asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. And I wrote, If any king had a divine right, it was David. But his devotion is remarkable and the only right posture of a divinely appointed king. I draw strength here too, all of us can, to say that I only desire one thing in the face of my enemy's attack, only one thing, to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze at his beauty. Not victory or vindication, not here anyway, not peace or even peace of mind. I just want to see God. David's life was often in danger he held the burden of a, of a nation and the responsibility of God's anointing far more stressful than a failed bishop election. Though war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. Such faith. Give me this faith, Lord. I still have work to do, still attend to responsibilities, but proper perspective. One thing I ask. And then, just good self-talk. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Why wait? Because the Lord will act. How long to wait? Doesn't say. Just be strong and courageous and patient. And in the meantime, focus on the beauty of the Lord. But just things that just helped me step back. And this was certainly one of them, being here at the Martyrs Memorial. Any questions about this? You're a fantastic writer. I think so too. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Um, Oxford is really beautiful. There's a lot of, it's a big, it's a bustling city, but it's really, um, it's got, they preserved a lot of green space, meadows, like big, huge meadows. This is um, Christ Church College. So Oxford University is a bunch of different colleges, and this is Christ Church College. And um, the, the green space. This over here is Wycliffe Hall. I actually talk about it in my sermon today. I was able to go to some lectures there. This is Malcolm Geit. Um, he looks like Santa Claus, but he's actually a, a poet. He's a priest and a poet. And um, 
and has written some wonderful sonnets. I also got to hear uh, N.T. Wright. Uh, that was really wonderful. And when it, what he was talking about, in, what N.T. Wright was talking about, is that all of Christian practice seems to be like, how do we get to heaven? And yet the witness of Scripture is that heaven has come to us. Over and over and over and over again. And he went through all, so many scripture after scripture after scripture. And what, and I just, he was challenging, what does that mean for, um, for our lives to flip that and say, not how, to, what do I do in order to get to heaven, but what do I do now that heaven has come to me? It was actually really remarkable. And I couldn't listen to his second lecture because I had to go out and write in my journal about the first one. And I was like, I'll just read the, I'll just listen to the recordings. I haven't seen any of the recordings, or seen about the recordings, and I actually ran into at this conference I was at in Dallas uh, last couple of days. I saw some of the people who were there in charge of the conference. Said, "Oh, are the recordings available?" And they said, "Oh, we're." I just got an email uh, yesterday saying we're just starting to work on them. It's so British, gosh! <laughs> but it was wonderful. It was really, really cool. Now this, so part of Oxford uh, that I'm. I really loved C.S. Lewis. I hadn't read all his stuff, but I've read the Chronicles of Narnia many times. And, um, and so some of the C.S. Lewis stuff was really, really interesting. And I got to go on this uh, tour, uh, walking around, and this is one of the things our tour guide uh, showed us, is that C.S. Lewis would have walked, I think I told you this, he would have walked out the door of his, of his uh, office, and he would have walked... I mean, this is like a narrow alleyway. He would have walked and out of this door and been facing this door. So this is what he would have seen coming out of his office door, his, the building door every day. And in the middle, middle of this door, is a, it's a lion. That's what she said. I wouldn't have noticed that that was a lion looking at it. But it's a face with a bunch of stuff around, like a mane. And, and then a fawn. It's actually two fawns. There's another one just like this over here. Uh, but I wanted to blow it up so you can see it. So there's the lion on the door and the fawn. And of course in the uh, Chronicles of Narnia there's Aslan who's the lion and, um, and Mr. Tumnus who's the fawn. And standing right here you turn and, and here's this uh, lamppost. Uh, that's the lamppost that's in the in the, uh, that's the lamppost in the um, in the forest, in the Narnian forest. Also there was um, uh, was St. St. Peter's something and St. Edmund's something. And they're right next to each other. And Peter and Edmund are the two boys uh, in, the, in the Chronicles of Narnia. So really, really neat uh, just to see that. Uh, this uh, pub called the Eagle and Child is not open anymore. It's closed. I think somebody, I heard it had been sold and somebody was going to work to reopen it. But it is where uh, they had the meetings called the Inklings. And that's where um, C.S. Lewis met with Tolkien and a couple of others, uh, dear friends, and they would have pints and they would talk about literature. And it was these conversations that, um, particularly with Tolkien, but I think Charles as well, and I can't remember his last name, but, um, but they, uh, they began to impress upon C.S. Lewis that uh, they called him Jack, and, um, that, that God, God was real. See, Lewis was a mythologist. He loved stories of myth. And there's this walk, not far from um, from Christchurch, behind there, called Addison's Walk, and um, and it is in fact 
the, um, the walk that he was taking with Tolkien, Lewis and Tolkien were taking this walk around this meadow where uh, that's when Lewis was finally convinced that it's the real myth, that Christianity is the real myth, the myth upon which all other myths are based. And, and he became a Christian that night after that walk, and I got to take that same walk. Very, very cool, very uh, special to me. Might sound a little bit nerdy, but it was, um, it was really meaningful uh, to me. Thoughts or comments? Questions? And this is just a fine, it's just like the most British picture, isn't it? I mean, it's just, um, it's a beautiful spot. That's uh, Magdalen College or Magdalen. Uh, and if I remember right, actually, C.S. Lewis's offices were behind that, but I may be getting uh, confused with the geography. But it's just such a, um, a British looking view with the bus and these things. They were having exams. Let me actually show you. Um, these kids, you can't really see, but they're, they're liking like tuxedo kind of things with, um, with these strange looking jackets. And I thought, man, they're, everybody's getting, going to this party. And I wonder what, what the party is. They were having exams. You have to wear this particular exam dress at Oxford and the same thing in Cambridge. Um, and it's like a tuxedo. And the men have it, and the women have it, and you have. And if you're wearing blue socks, and not black socks, you gotta go. You cannot be. You cannot take your exams. It is a, their system, their education system, doesn't work quite like ours. And, and sometimes you have to, um, like, you get one. You've been there for four years, and this is the exam. Like, it all culminates in in this one paper that you have to write on the fly. And if you wear the wrong socks, you don't get to do it. So it's it's. It's yeah. I didn't see anybody with the wrong socks. So, yeah. tradition. It's tradition. It is. So after I left Oxford, it was Oxford was so wonderful. I went to Cambridge, and Cambridge was less wonderful. But um, it was what I wanted to go more than anything is to see this church, and it's Holy Trinity Cambridge. And I probably should have done a little research before. The reason I wanted to see Holy Trinity Cambridge is because uh, in the 1700s. Uh, late 1700s, early 1800s, uh, a man named Charles Simeon was the vicar there. He was the, he was the vicar, the rector for uh, about 50 years. When he got there, he was a young man, and um, in fact, he wasn't even a priest; yet. he was a deacon. And it was very unusual that such a church would be given there. But apparently, his father knew the bishop, and so he was placed here. The wardens were furious. And these are in the days where the, in the pews, the pews had uh, doors on them and the doors uh, were locked by the wardens. That's, they were the wardens of, of the place. That's, um, you know, not, we don't have quite the same responsibilities for our wardens now, but they, they made sure that everybody uh, who had paid for their pew, rented their pew, got access to their pew, and those who hadn't paid the, the access to the pew didn't get access. But the wardens were so mad that uh, at Simeon, that they locked all of the pews and would not let anybody sit in them. And if you wanted to come and listen to this obnoxious young curate, then you had to stand for 10 years. And he kept preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel and preaching the gospel. And he would, there's stories that he would uh, weep in the pulpit 
for his people to turn, repent and turn to the Lord. And finally, he got new wardens and uh, they unlocked the pews. And um, 50% or so of the young men, because it was just men at that time, I think, uh, they were going through Cambridge, were there to become priests. And it is said that he uh, mentored well over a thousand young men going into the priesthood. He basically changed what it mean what it meant to, to preach a sermon. Um, it was not um, uncommon for him to preach six different sermons in a week. Uh, he would, uh, because he wasn't really allowed at his own church, he would preach to those who came to stand up, and then he would ride on a horseback. He was actually independently, um, maybe not wealthy, but able to take care of himself, and so he didn't, for, for no pay, he would ride into the countryside and just preach to the little um, uh, churches that didn't have a vicar, and they came out in droves. And, um, and he is just a model of what faithful gospel preaching could do, not just to a church, but to a community. And he has always been one of my heroes, and what I really wanted was to be uh, in that place and to stand in his pulpit and to just to see there. Well, the Holy Trinity now is a thriving evangelical church. There's a church in London called Holy Trinity Brompton. You may have heard of it. They started the Alpha Course. It's very, um, in, in many ways, very wonderful, but they've pushed a lot of uh, different sorts of iterations of worship, uh, and, and it, in some ways we wouldn't recognize it. So what a lot of churches, most evangelical churches, have done, not all, uh, is they've removed the pews and they've pushed the altar back and they've made that area a stage, and, and that is what has they've done at Holy Trinity. And have, they have a wonderful, thriving ministry uh, to, uh, to Cambridge and to the, to the university, to the students. And so they have a much more flexible space. So right now these chairs are set up around tables uh, for a dinner of some sort. But on Sunday they would set them up in, in aisles. And, um, and there is no pulpit to stand in because um, they just preach from the stage. And so uh, it was a little bit disappointing, but I just sat in that space. And I went up there. There's a, This plaque is up. So this plaque is like back here. Um, and, and so that was, so I just kind of thank God for the ministry of the gospel uh, in, in that place. But it wasn't quite what I expected, if that makes sense. But here, I found something that was really interesting. There's Charles Simeon. And this is a, a um, list. You can't see it because of the glare, but it says the vicars of the Holy Trinity Church, Cambridge. The first one, Philip at uh, something, Philip Hill, Dick, Dick Kellery gone or something like that. It's hard to see because of the glare. 1317. 1317. Um, someone told me once that the main differences between uh, England and America is that in England, 100 miles is a long way. And in America, 100 years is a long time. <laughs> also interesting, 15, uh, 1456, John Gibbs with an E, G-I-B-B-E-S, 1456. There aren't, there isn't another line that I know of. Those are, that's my people. Uh, that was pretty neat. And down here in the 1500s, uh, 1578, I think, John Fox, 
Heard of Fox's Book of Martyrs? That's, that's who that is. And then here, over here, 1782, Charles Simeon. Not again. The next one was 1836. So he, that was 50 years later. So long, long period of faithfulness. And Charles Simeon is a great, a great hero uh, of mine. But all in all, Cambridge was not that exciting. <laughs> it wasn't that exciting. She did. She said, oh, well, they have all of the Simeon stuff, the assistants, said they have all the Simeon stuff over at uh, Ridley College. And, um, and I said, oh, okay, I'll go. So I walked about a mile and a half over to Ridley College and knocked on the door, and they were mostly closed, but the guy let me in. He's like, we don't have anything like that. <laughs> you want to see our chapel? I'm like, yes. Um, that was it. He was really nice. Uh, and then I went to Canterbury, but I'm going to have to tell you about this, uh, I think, next week. So, um, anyway, that's, uh, that's it. I'm excited to share more uh, about that. Any questions or thoughts before we wrap up? So one of the things I've noticed is just reading the Psalms just and being in these places just helped me gain perspective. And it was so uh, enriching, not just from a sort of pilgrimage standpoint, but just from a mental health standpoint. And, and, and if you haven't, if you're going through a difficult time, uh, I often tell people to read the Psalms because they understand us. So... All right, friends, I'll pick up right back here next week. After, no, before the blessing of the animals. Thank you. Oh, good.
But the Addison's wife was a lovely thing to do. And I don't even remember who it was. One or two of them, but one of them was an Oxford first wife. chance to do that. Very special. We'd love to do it here every single week. She knows that it's her birthday. Yeah. Go to your dad. Like your tiger science and science and math. But I'm like, anything written? Your dad is the one. <laughs> All right. So glad you're doing well now. Thanks, honey. Is this yours, Jenny? Yeah, I'm coming back. I just want to put my Who carries my track?